It's the Nittany No Huddle Podcast from the Nittany No Huddle Studios. We're back at it with Penn State Villanova preview. We got the first matchup since 1951 um, when Villanova went 20 or won 20 to 14 and it was hosted at Allentown High School. Devin, you got any uh, more information on that or? No, I just always, it's always funny to me whenever you see these games that don't ever pop up, obviously with Penn State being FBS and Villanova being FCS, that they haven't played since 1951, and uh, they wouldn't play at Villanova because of their field at that time, so they played at a high school because it was better. It's kind of crazy to think about. I love it. <laughs> it's hilarious. Uh, so Penn State leads the all-time series 5-3-1. and one. I'm assuming the one's the tie, correct? Correct. I always love when you see ties come up because it's not something we've had happen in a very long time. So um, uh, Villanova is 4-19 against FBS schools. And, oh, they actually beat Temple in 2018. I didn't know that. It looks like Villanova has played at least one FBS school almost every year from, like, 2018 back to 2009. Um, Typically, Temple, UConn, Pitt, uh, Syracuse one year. And most of their games have been surprisingly close within two to three touchdowns every time. And um, they have beaten Temple three times in that stretch. So we also lost to Temple pretty recently, so that kind of sucks too. But um, Villanova is not afraid to go into – FBS schools, especially around the area, and try to try to win it. Yeah, that just brings up the point, like, why are we playing Villanova? It seems like only bad can come from this. I don't know how you feel about that, Zach. Yeah, especially, um, and you see this, uh, North Dakota State is a good example. Uh, you see, always see, like, Iowa or Iowa State or some of the Midwestern schools, State, and it's an FCS school, but it's it's like the very best. It's like the Alabama of FCS. So they come in, and they're not they're not faced or daunted by the task in front of them, because although they they recognize there's a talent gap, they, all they do is win, and like they hold themselves to a standard of excellence. And like it's just why why even risk? I don't know. Penn State. We do actually have another game with Nova coming up in a couple of years. We got to two-game both-home series with them, which is sort of interesting. Um, can't ever get them to play us in basketball, but what are you going to do? But, yeah, I, I, big picture, I, I think I think it would be great to just have a policy of never playing FCS schools. But if you're going to play one, I guess I would prefer, you know, keep it somebody somebody uh, closer to home, like Nova. It's kind of crazy, too, Zach, that, um, like, if you look at the rankings, this is a big six-versus-seven matchup. Because Villanova's ranked seventh in FCS, so it uh, just on paper, if you didn't know anything about football and you just saw number six Penn State versus number seven Villanova, it'd be pretty funny to to think about. The other interesting thing, uh, since you bring up rankings, I I, I saw today um, Massey Massey Composite has like a rankings of all of the all of the FBS and the FCS schools inter, intermixed, and interestingly, Ball State, who I think was expected to be pretty good this year, be one of the better MAC teams, is all the way down at like 113 or something, and and Nova's not too far behind 
uh, Ball State in this particular ranking. And again, with only three games worth of data, who knows what that necessarily means. But all that to say, again, if you're talking, if you're talking North Dakota State, the very best of FCS or a school like that, or Montana, who just beat Washington and who is always in the FCS playoffs, there, there really isn't that big of a jump from the very best of FCS to the very, very worst of of the FBS, which again just sort of begs the question: like, why why even make that jump down there? Just just schedule a couple of MAC teams. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel about it, especially because you get that David and Goliath complex with FBS schools versus FCS schools that are really out to prove something and show that, hey, like we can compete at D1 levels. And a lot of us were, you know, probably could have walked on an FBS school but decided to go to an FCS school. So I just don't see any upside in playing teams like this, but it's always kind of interesting. So speaking of, you know, records and that, uh, Villanova's head coach, Mark Ferrante, I think it's how you pronounce it, Ferrante, Ferrante. Uh, he's with his fifth season with them, and he's had a 24-18 and 18 record, but he has got them to the playoffs um, a couple of times, and uh, they he was actually the assistant coach when they won the national title for FCS in uh, 2009, I believe. Um, so um, their quarterback, Daniel Smith, transferred from Campbell. He's actually, I was looking into some of his stats. I think last year he went like, Almost 50 touchdowns and only 10 interceptions, which is pretty good for a college player. Um, they they say he can run the ball pretty well, too. I think he has like 30 or 40 rushing yards on the season. Um, other than that, the skill players they have, uh, Justin Covington. <laughs> I don't know, if Devin, if you want to talk about him a little bit. I didn't really look into him much, but I see he's like averaging almost 100 yards a game. Yeah, I just very quickly looked at Villanova. Um, to go back to Daniel Smith, Last week, Villanova came back and scored the final 21 points to beat Richmond, another really solid FCS school. I think they were ranked uh, 16th at the time. And Smith threw for 350 yards in that game, uh, 26 of 40 for 350. And Justin Covington, um, he is a six-year senior, got that extra year with COVID. Uh, Villanova played four games in the spring, and he rushed for about 315 yards in the spring. And he's already at 310 yards through three games this year. Um, two of those, obviously, are really bad FCS schools, Bucknell and Lehigh, who are both pretty down right now. Um, but he rushed for 92 yards on Saturday against Richmond. I think he could still have a decent night or day, a noon game. But obviously, it's not the same level of competition that he will see in Beaver Stadium. But I think he is a name to watch. I think he'll he'll get his carries. He has he's averaging about twenty carries a game, so I fully expect him to do the same, get about twenty carries on Saturday. Yeah, it's all good stuff there. Um with those uh COVID uh six year seniors, I was actually listening to the herd today and they had Joe Clad on and he was talking how some of that is why college football is so crazy this early in the season and a lot of the perennial powerhouses don't look as good because teams like Alabama, Ohio State, um, some of the other big-name schools, Oklahoma, they don't typically have seniors anyways because they tend to push most people through to the pros or whatever reasons, constant recruiting. 
so they're saying like that has really helped smaller teams um, that don't have that have the ability to keep people for the six years. So there's a lot more development in college football right now. Um, Zach, you have anything to input on that? Yeah, I think I think there's definitely got to be some value to that. Um, and I would say it's kind of what you just described to me struck me uh, as analogous to you see it a lot of times in the NCAA tournament on the basketball side. You'll see these super teams like Duke and North Carolina, and they're oftentimes just like loaded with freshmen and sophomores, and then they'll run into some, you know, somebody like a Northern Iowa or uh, Vermont, gotcha. So yeah, I think there's something to be said to the the the, the oddity of the COVID year and the, the basically the granting everybody an extra year of eligibility. One of the few instances maybe where the NCAA has a rule that doesn't benefit the the, the biggest powers um, because, to your point, so many of the Alabama players, you're either leaving and going pro or you see the writing on the wall and you, you're getting recruited over and you leave and go somewhere else. Um, so it's not a rule that probably helped the big schools all that much, um, but some of the other schools can – it's a chance for the have-nots to kind of keep up with the haves a little bit. I agree completely. So uh, back back to our list here. Um, do you guys want to talk about uh, Forrest Ryan from Waynesboro? He is uh, from the area pretty close to where you live, Zach. Um, he's actually leading their defense with 13 tackles. So I don't know if either of you guys had any insight on that. I know you both live close to that area, so you might have some on-the-ground reporting to do there. Uh, no, I mean, it's just it's always cool for us like specifically um, all three of us on the podcast are from kind of a small area and Waynesboro is a school that we played in sports all the time and it's pretty close. And now like, uh, like Jordan said, Zach lives close there and I live um, a couple towns up from Waynesboro. So it's just cool to see when you're looking through a game breakdown and it's like, Oh, Forrest Ryan is leading their team in tackles. Um, I remember he was getting recruited by some FBS schools as like a preferred walk on and decided to go the FCS route and uh, has obviously worked out pretty well for him. He's had a good, solid career at Villanova, and uh, now as a six-year senior is is leading the team in tackles. So I'm sure for him it'll be really special to play on Saturday in Beaver Stadium. I'm sure he'll have a lot of family there. And uh, so that's just kind of cool to think about. Yeah, I think that's one of the, one of the uh, fortunate side effects of these types of games. You know, we, we talk about whether or not, you know, should, should a, a power conference team like Penn State even be playing a game like this? You know, if you look at it from the other perspective, and I don't know if either of you guys have been on Villanova's campus, but just to compare their stadium, their football stadium on campus to Beaver Stadium is just a wild comparison. But for those guys to get to play in a game like this, in a stadium like that, you know, especially you just mentioned the, the kid from Waynesboro, like, you know, your local, local PA kid, you grow up and you probably watch a ton of Penn State games, just to have the opportunity to play in one of the you know cathedrals of college football has to be a, a, an awesome experience, really, no matter how the game or the score shakes out. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, that kind of feeds back into that, uh, you know, David versus Goliath complex that you see with these heavily favored games and playing in two different systems. Like, imagine being, you know, Forrest Ryan, probably watched a lot of Penn State growing up. Now you get the chance to play there. Like, you're probably going to play your heart out because 
one, all your friends and family are probably going to be there. Two, you're on the biggest stage, a nationally televised game. It's it's just it's going to be a cool experience for him, and I know I'm sure he's going to you know play as hard as he can out there. Um, so moving on, let's talk about Penn State a little bit. Um, what are you guys expecting out of this out of this game here this week? I'm I'm expecting Penn State to probably try to use this as an opportunity to try to get the, the run game going. I think we saw we saw some of it in the Ball State game. Uh, I don't have the stats in front of me, but Penn State definitely went somewhat run heavy. Um, and then you look at the Wisconsin and the Auburn games, two big big wins, obviously against really good defenses and specifically what looked to be really really good run defenses. So it's it's hard to nitpick too much, but uh, if there's something to, t- to take away from the first couple games, it's the need to, hey, we, we've got to be able to get four yards, five yards a pop, you know. And, and I think if 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 there's one thing to watch in this game, it, if we can't do that against Villanova, that, that could be a troubling sign uh, once you get into the heart of the Big Ten schedule. You know, I think it would be real easy to come out and just say, look, we've got Jahan Dotson and uh, Parker Washington and Lambert Smith and these talented tight ends, and we could just, like, throw it all over the field, probably against Villanova skill position players, but that's not really doing anybody any good, I think, as you just try to gear up for the, the Big Ten schedule. Yeah, I echo everything you just said there, Zach. To me, this is a game where we need Noah Kane and um, the rest of the running backs there to to really perform well. Um, John Lovett got a couple carries against Auburn. be interesting to see if he has worked his way up the depth chart at all to get a little bit more carriage carryings um and for for in the passing game like you said zach if, if sean clifford goes like 10 for 13 i think that's a perfect night i mean day i keep saying night because i'm so used to penn state playing at night lately um but as, if, if sean clifford has 13 pass attempts and completes nine or ten gets a couple throws throwing touchdowns that is all we need and and more from him um and hopefully if everything goes right the last three or four or five drives can be um, a lot of second string guys. So that's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. The, the big thing for me is avoiding injuries this week. Um, we have a gauntlet of big 10 games coming up and the last thing we need is key players and key positions going down injured. So I would like to, hopefully we can, you know, pound the rock on the ground um, I'm very excited for John Lovett. I think he gives a completely new dynamic to our offense that we didn't have the first two weeks, um, which they haven't clarified why he was out. Um, it's been speculated that it was disciplinary, but when they asked Franklin about that earlier this week, he like got visibly like angry that they were asking about that. So I don't know what went on there, but they switched him to number 10 uh, right before the game, I think as like to try and throw Auburn's scouting off. I'm not, not really sure what all that was about, but I think he's going to be a great receiving back that kind of gives us a different look than uh, Lee and Ford and Kane. But we really need to step up our run game because right now um, we're not going to be able to beat teams like Iowa and Michigan without setting up the run game to open up play action and those sort of things. And against some of these better teams, we can't play like we did against wisconsin in the first half we're not going to get away with that again so i really do think the need for the run game is important there um you guys have any updates on like weekly news with the big 10 
Um, do you guys want to go through the schedule a little bit and see what games we have, and we can kind of talk about that? Yeah, I think I think if you're looking at the Big Ten schedule this week, as I see it, you've got you've got one really big game. You've got a couple Big Ten games actually in play as well, and then a, then a bunch of action going on. Obviously, the big one for me is is the Notre Dame at Wisconsin game. I shouldn't say at Wisconsin, the game's being played at Soldier Field in Chicago, which is a cool venue for a non-con game. Um, interesting dynamic. You've got Notre Dame starting the, the former Wisconsin starting quarterback, Jack Cohn. Um, you've got a Notre Dame team that is still ranked 12, but really has not looked that good this year and um, perhaps undeserving of their high ranking versus a Wisconsin team that has already had a bye, which is kind of interesting. Had the, had the game against Penn State and then spanked Eastern Michigan. So it's a little, Wisconsin's still a little bit of an unknown, and then you have a Notre Dame team that just hasn't looked all that great. So I think there's a lot of question marks going into that game. And, you know, you've got the potential for Wisconsin to get right with, with a big win or what, you know, on paper would look like a big win. And then conversely, you've got a chance for Notre Dame to kind of quell all the haters and say, yeah, everything's fine. You know, we just beat a, beat a tough Wisconsin team. Then you've got Wisconsin starting out one and two, which is by itself pretty interesting. Um, I don't know if, any, if anybody has any commentary on that game because I think that's clearly the big – that's got to be the big, uh, big Big Ten game as far as eyeballs go this weekend. Yeah, that's uh, – I mean, I would say other than maybe uh, A&M and Arkansas, which I'm still not sure about um, – Clearly, Notre Dame-Wisconsin is the best game of the week on, on Saturday. And um, I think it will be really interesting to see how Wisconsin responds to everything that they've already had this year. Like Zach said, losing to Penn State and having a bye already, super strange. Um, and Notre Dame just hasn't looked super good. So uh, I think it will be a real low-scoring game, personally. I think it will be a big defensive struggle. Notre Dame always seems to play really well in these Shamrock Series games. I know this. I don't think this is technically a Shamrock Series game, but it basically is um, because of COVID. And I think it'll be tight. So I, I think Wisconsin wins, but it's tight. Yeah, I mean, as a Penn State fan, obviously we want Wisconsin to go out there and blow the doors off Notre Dame. But I just don't see that explosive offense that Wisconsin has kind of had in the past. But another game that I wouldn't sleep on, which will be a very – telling sign for the season of this these ah, excuse me these two programs is the Rutgers Michigan game. Rutgers has not looked bad at all this year, and I I could see them giving it to Michigan at the Big House, and you know uh, we we'll get to see maybe if Michigan is the real deal and see if they just keep pounding that rock and what they're gonna do there. I don't know Zach if you have any uh, insight on that Rutgers Michigan. Yeah, game. I think I think the. The line is a little interesting um, because I think everybody that's following college football would would agree that Rutgers appears to be, you know, a live dog at this point. But Michigan's favored by 20 and a half based on what I'm looking at, which is kind of a big number for me. Um, again, Michigan has looked good. That said, they they really haven't played anybody, and the the game that was supposed to be the the showing against somebody, Washington has just turned out. You know, Washington is, I think, going to be one of the worst teams in the Pac-12 this year, based on what we've seen. They have the they have the home loss to Montana, um, and they just looked really, really bad against Michigan. Um, big thing with Michigan is, yeah, they can run the ball like crazy, and they have been all three games, but they haven't been forced into 
a lot of obvious passing situations. So there's just it's it's unclear to see to, to me if their offense is is the juggernaut that it's been made out to be. And I think although Rutgers obviously isn't a, a high end team, I think if Michigan comes out and and beats the brakes off of Rutgers, I think the the hype for Michigan just just continues to climb. And conversely, if you're Rutgers and you think you are for real, no better opportunity to show it than go into one of the one of the the homes of the blue bloods of the conference and, and try to shake things up. Yeah, I, uh, just to kind of go on a different route there, I'm really interested in that game to see Rutgers' passing game. As this connection from Vedral to Melton has been um, pretty ridiculous. Vedral's completing 72% of his passes on 81 attempts already, which uh, 81 attempts in three games is pretty wild to me. And to complete 72% of them, uh, yes, granted that is Temple, Syracuse, and Delaware, but still – um, and Melton has 20 of those catches for 227 yards, again, in three games. So uh, the fact that Michigan's only allowing about 180 pass yards a game and Rutgers is throwing for 210 yards a game, I think will be interesting and kind of be the deciding factor to me is um, can Vedral handle the pressure that Michigan will give him and can Melton get open? Yeah, I agree uh, with you there. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see if he can get that separation against these Michigan defenders. Now, my other game to watch, which could tell the season as well, is Michigan State-Nebraska. Nebraska just coming off a close loss to Oklahoma and Michigan just beating the brakes off Miami. I think if, if Michigan State goes in there and just smacks Nebraska, that's going to be great for them and in turn great for Penn State because we want them to be as highly ranked as possible when we get them at the end of the season. I mean, I, I don't know how you're getting my, that, but I, I don't agree That's my that. super dog of the week. Sparty Sparty is due for a Sparty no. Uh, This is a classic, classic Michigan State situation. People forget because they just remember the the D'Antonio era, but Michigan State was was known prior, pre-D'Antonio, and even even somewhat in the D'Antonio era. uh, They lost the year they went to the college football playoff. They lost to Nebraska, uh, a very mediocre, mediocre Nebraska team, but. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that Scott Frost has kind of had the team draw a line in the sand and kind of stiffen up a little bit and the, the was a really good showing against Oklahoma um, and just Michigan State in a position where they're they are better than expected and probably getting way more praise than than the players or staff expected to get at this point in the season and how, how do you handle that I think is a big big question mark for a team of of a lot of young guys and. and Guys that just haven't haven't been at that stage yet, so could be could be totally out there. But that's what I'm rolling with this week as my super dog. All right, you heard it here, Hammer Sparty on the on the line. <laughs> um, I I think I think everything you said is valid. Um, clearly Vegas is thinking that only setting the line at five and a half points. Like, I mean, you typically would think there'd be a bigger margin when you have a one and two team versus a number twenty team, but. Clearly, they're seeing what you're seeing. So I think that's going to be a great game. 
Um, hopefully Sparty gets it done because I just think it, it'd be better for us. But um, other than that, you're right for Sparty. Mostly, mostly my pick is an indictment of the ACC, which I think is an absolutely horrendous conference at this point. Um, and I think, you know, the, the the win down at Miami was, you know, any any win for Michigan State with a second year head coach and a pretty young team, any road win against a Power Five team is great. I just think Miami's crap, and I think the entire ACC is crap. So that's what I'm resting my hat on. All right, there you heard it there. So other than that, um, I I think uh, do we do you want to go through our score prediction for this this week's game versus Nova? Uh, I'm gonna say thirty-eight-seven is gonna be my prediction for Penn State to win. I will go Penn State forty-two, Villanova fourteen. I will go with Penn State forty-eight, Villanova thirteen. Oh, there you go. So, uh, all in all, I think we're going to – I really hope we just put this game away early, take care of business, and, you know, get out of the weekend want to know, as Franklin likes to say, and just move on with our schedule, get ready for those big games coming up. And, uh, yeah, I, I really expect to see some players we don't typically get to see. Um, we got that game versus Indiana. First weekend in October, it's going to be a, a good one. So it's another night game. So not to look too far ahead, but really hope that uh, we can we can put this one away early and just get it done. Um, other than that, you guys have anything else before we head out? Keep your eyes on the Indiana Western Kentucky game. Speaking of Indiana, this is a team that had a great year last year. Comes in with the top twenty ranking, expected to compete with Ohio State for the Big Ten East, uh, returning everybody. And then, boom, you start the year one and two. Admittedly, a pretty challenging schedule to start the year. Very first game at Iowa. And then uh, third game of the year, that uh, challenging non-conference game playing Cincinnati. But, you know, once you once you hit two losses um, in college football in the power conference, you're pretty much out of the, the national playoff race and potentially out of the Big Ten race. So how do you respond? And then just the fact that, you have a Big Ten team going on the road to play with Western Kentucky is just like a weird setup. So keep an eye on Sparty uh, and whether they can whether they can handle being the, uh, the the hunted at this point with Nebraska, and then keep your eye on this weird Indiana at Western Kentucky game. All right, there you go, Devin. You got anything else? Okay, great. So. I did want to tell you one other thing, uh, Zach, just a follow-up from this weekend. Uh, we figured out that Devin and I were, walked over 10 miles each at the, at the game this weekend, so that's something you don't uh, always expect to do on a game weekend for sure. That is that's a, why I was so a lot of walking. Yeah, a lot of walking. At least we got a win out of it, so... That's all uh, from the Nittany No Huddle podcast. We look forward to seeing you guys next time. It's the Nittany No Huddle podcast from the Nittany No Huddle studios.